This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk, Cosmic Queries Edition. As always, I've got a co host who's a stand up comedian, Paul Mercurio. Paul, welcome back to Star Talk. Nice to see you again, Neil. Great to be back. And I'd like, I can count you as my friend that we had a couple of lunches together. And so you're more than just my co host. I count you as a friend. Yeah, you treat us to a great lunch. And the three of us need to do that again soon. We were talking about that. That was, yeah, excellent, excellent. And so also, just some people, if they don't otherwise know you or they know you only a little bit, uh, I first knew of your work as the warm up guy for the audience for Colbert's The Late Show. Mm -hmm. Then I see clips of you doing stand up on the show. Excuse me. Yeah. I'm a big shot. I don't think you realize that. And uh, I'm the one would call me an international superstar. At least oh, that one okay. that one person would be me. Yeah, and, or your uh, or your mother. Yeah, or okay. my mother. <laughs> no, I was. Well, I left Wall Street to be a comedian, so I'm just. I think the word she uses is disappointment. But um, yeah, no. I mean, Stephen and I go back to the Daily Show together. I was a writer performer on that show. And excellent. And so, yes, yeah, so I've been part of the DNA of, of, of those shows for a while. But yeah, okay. yeah, that's where we got to know each other. And, Excellent. Uh, you're, always, you're always great on the show. You're always oh, thank great. you. Thank you, just yeah. as a guest. Uh, so we, today, we're tackling the big questions. The big questions. And that could mean different things to different people. But on this show, it means the big questions in the universe. And we, found, we combed the world. No, we combed the universe, <laughs> and we found someone who's, who just published a book titled Existential Physics, A Scientist's Guide to the Biggest Questions. And that person is in the, is, is in the house right now, uh, except 
dialing in from Germany. <laughs> we have Sabina Hassenfelder. Do I pronounce that right, Sabina? That was wonderful. <laughs> Good to see you guys. Excellent, nice excellent. You. Uh, you're a theoretical physicist, uh, and and Paul, it's not that she's theoretically a physicist. I was she's a, <laughs> just want to clarify that. <laughs> okay, she's a theoretical physicist, uh, a research fellow at the Frankfurt Institute of Advanced Studies, of course, in Germany. And you've got a popular YouTube channel called Science Without the Gobbledygook. How could you not tune into that with a name such as that? And uh, one of my favorite uh, works of hers is an earlier book that was indicting the expectation that elegance and beauty and math should guide science. And I agree, Sabina, with you 100% that it has often derailed what could be an actual discovery because we, we lace our own, our own uh, expectations on what the universe should be. Could you just comment on that briefly? Yeah, um, it's an ongoing disaster. It's still happening. It's not like yeah, it's over. Yeah, so my first book uh, dealt with um, the question why there's been pretty much no progress in the foundations of physics in the past 50 years or so since the standard model was completed. So we, we've gotten stuck with all those big questions. What is dark matter? What is dark energy? How did the universe begin? And just to be clear, this the, the, the standard model is it's the it's the array of particles that we know exist in the universe and how they all fit together, how they interact, and what forces they enact upon each other, and that was quite an achievement coming out of, you know in the in the mid to late twentieth century. And you're saying there hasn't been much fundamental progress since then. For what does theory development is concerned, no. So um, since. The, the time that the standard model was completed, uh, so in the mid-1970s or something, um, loosely speaking, um, there have been a lot of experimental discoveries. A lot of the particles in the standard model had not been observed at the time, like, for example, the heavier quarks uh, and uh, stuff like this. Of, of course, the Higgs. Which wasn't Higgs uh, boson can't leave that out, right? Exactly, yeah. right. Which was only experimentally confirmed uh, ten years ago, right? It just had the ten-year anniversary. Uh, but for what the mathematical structure is concerned, uh, it hasn't changed. Um, and, and Sabine, it, don't don't feel alone about this. We haven't been back to the moon in fifty years. Okay, so you're not the is only it, is one. That, uh, is that because that so much information came out of that first tranche of discovery that? It just sort of processing all of those different elements of knowledge just takes so much time that it's hard to sort of advance to another tranche. Is, it, could that, is that one particular reason, maybe? Well, the message that I'm uh, trying to get across in the book is that the problem is that physicists got too enchanted by certain ideals of beauty. Um, so, Paul, the, her answer is no to that question. By the way, for the I'll record, translate. <laughs> for the record, Sabina, I was this close to writing that book. You beat me to the punch by okay. like a, like like an hour. I was I had it almost all done, okay. and almost yours came there. out. And I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to bother. No, well, no. What's an example of 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 a, the most, one of the most distracting beauty elements that people want to be true in the universe? 
Unification, I guess. Um, so after this standard model was completed, um, there were a lot of physicists who thought it should be more unified. They were looking for this uh, grand unified theory, uh, which was pretty, you know, at the time, I think at the 70s, 80s, they thought it was pretty much around the corner. And it's out of this spirit uh, that string theory was born. And all the what happened was that all the predictions that were made from those theories were falsified to the extent that they could be falsified. So now we're left with the non-falsifiable ideas. Um, yeah. Uh, so it was grand unification, also symmetries, supersymmetries. But, but wait, this is of, a good tradition, though. Einstein was was headed there, right? So you don't want to be in the in the in the wake of <laughs> Einstein's work. Well, for one thing, I, I think Einstein wasn't driven by symmetry, um, it, though it's certainly true that the way that we understand uh, general relativity today, uh, it, it's based on symmetries. But I think it wasn't it wasn't Einstein's uh, intention. But uh, so what, what happened was that um, I think in the 70s, 80s, relying on symmetries was the next natural thing to do. It had, it had worked before. So of course you do it again, um, but the the problem was it didn't work, <laughs> and uh, physicists just didn't learn the lesson. So instead of saying okay we tried it it didn't work let's move on and try something different they tried the same thing over and over and over again and basically they're still trying it. So um, how is it surprising that there's no progress? So I, I bet you're you're popular at their parties. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm great fun. <laughs> <laughs> you get a lot of them. My invitation must have been lost in the. Exactly. So, is it because they lack the security of their own analysis that they keep testing it over and over again? I mean, is it? Is it? I mean, you, you know, they're not insane, right? There must be some rationale in their mind that they they keep retesting the same. So maybe there's doubt in their own mind about their processes or their analysis. Yeah, I think that's not one uh, factor to it, but uh, a couple of them, which is why my book has 300 pages. <laughs> so <laughs> right, uh, if it was that short an answer, um, it wouldn't have been worth writing a book. So I think it's partly um, a, a lack of understanding of the philosophy of science. Uh, so I, I think that they're, they're not really thinking about what's going on. So they don't recognize it's not working. And they try the same thing over and over again, even though good scientists, you know, you choose should use the scientific method and uh, not do this kind of thing. Uh, but it's also, I think it's it's a community problem. It's kind of baked into the way um, that academic communities work and the way that they are funded. It's just really, really hard to get out of some kind of research direction after you've spent a significant time of your career on it and do something else. It, there are very few physicists, and I, I know some of them, so, so they exist, who said, okay, so we, we've tried supersymmetry, doesn't work, uh, I'll stop it and do something else because it makes your life very, very difficult if you do this because all your funding goes out of the window and, and your, your whole track mm. record has evaporated. So it's like being a one-trick pony, like Def Leppard, right? <laughs> like it's like sort of just the same song over and over and you kind of get locked into it. Yeah, I see. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I wrote something for Physics Word, and I wrote uh, advice for postdocs. Don't don't be a one-trick pony. <laughs> My British friend was like, "This <laughs> is go. such an American idiom." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so, what's Def Leppard's one-trick pony? Is it? Uh, no, it's their songs. Everything sounds the same. Oh, everything <laughs> sounds the same. It's over and over and over again. It's the same thing. Yeah. So, Sabina, so that early work, uh, that early book, really put you in a good way. 
it, and it uh, positions you to take on uh, a broader topic here, sort of existential questions. And, and uh, so what, what prompted you to write this book? Oh, my first book is like really depressing. I mean, I, I was basically going on for those 300 pages about why there's no progress in the foundation of physics and, and, and trying to explain what everybody else is doing wrong, which, you know, doesn't exactly make me look like a particularly nice person. And mm -hmm. it, it kind of, I, I felt that it was necessary to write the book because I thought someone's got to say it, you know, it there's no reason why the LHC should be seeing new particles, all the all those stories that they've told about dark matter. LHC, the so. Large Hadron Collider. Yeah, uh, yeah. exactly uh -huh. that thing. Um, you know, there have been all those stories. It would see supersymmetric particles or dark matter. It would make black holes and all that kind of stuff. And, and all those supposed predictions were based on arguments from beauty. And in, in my book, yeah. I explain this. Mm -hmm. But, it, you know, it kind of makes me this person who's always complaining about what other people do. And uh, <laughs> I'm kind of unhappy with the picture that I've painted of myself. Mm -hmm. So um, I was thinking, uh, you know, I, I would try to remind myself why I studied physics in the first place, which is that I was really intrigued by how much you can learn about nature from pure mathematics, basically. You know, all those symmetries that we were just talking about, they're like really, really powerful tools that have ta taught us so much about how the universe works. And a lot of those stories haven't really been told to the public, like uh, when it comes to those big existential questions. And so I've collected them in my book. Good. So you saw a gap that you're filling. Excellent. Excellent. So we got questions. We solicited questions from our, yes. uh, our, our Patreon fan base. And these are supporters of the show, and they get their questions on. So apparently, you have to actually become a Patreon member in order to even get your question looked at, much less selected. So that's kind of <laughs> cold, cold, I think. But that's how that's how that works. I didn't set up that rule. Just let you, just let you know, <laughs> our producers and other folks who pay the bills set up that rule. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so Paul, you, why don't you start off? Yeah. You've got the questions. Yeah. I haven't I seen the them questions. or heard them, yeah. and I yes. don't think uh, Sabina has seen them. Correct? No. So, so there's some really great questions this uh, this time around. So we're going to jump in with Quentin on microwaves. Hi. Where's Quentin uh, from? Greeting. Do we know where these people are from? Do they from tell us? Switzerland? This is. Uh, What's what? Tell us where they're from. Why you leave that out? I was about to say hi, greetings from Switzerland oh, before you started yelling at me, Dad. Switzerland oh is where the God. LHC is. So no. this person is like on top of the situation. Yeah, I okay. was reading his thing and it said, hi, guys, greeting from Switzerland. Uh, you see the tension, Sabina? This is how this goes. All right, what's more knowledge is, is, what more knowledge is there to gain by making more and more detailed measurements of the cosmic microwave background? Love the show. I think the thing that everyone is looking um, after at the moment are the B modes, right? They want to measure the polarization uh, of the CMB uh, to try and figure out uh, if there were gravitational waves in the early universe. Are, are you saying that there's nothing in there that can help you in your dark matter search? In the CMB, um, well, me and my dark matter search, <laughs> exactly, oh, exactly what are you talking about? <laughs> are we all looking for dark matter? Like my, yes. my personal satellite that just launched. No, so, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, 
So the CMB does put constraints on dark matter. It's been doing this for some time, and every time the data gets better, then the the parameters of lambda CDM shift around for a little bit, and people adjust their models. Um, I don't think the CMB is the best tool to uh, learn something about dark matter because it just, uh, you know, the overall dark matter fraction of the universe is one of those parameters. But what you really want to know, like where where um, the the properties of the dark matter stuff, if it's stuff, become important is more on the smaller scales, galaxies, galaxy clusters, when you have to take into account how how the stuff actually clumps. Um, and there are some things that you can do in the CMB, um, loosely speaking, because um, those structures uh, give rise to gravitational lenses, so it distorts the CMB, and there's a fancy name for it, which escapes me at the moment, but this is how it goes with my brain. Um, and, and, and you can look for this. Um, so, so this is interesting, uh, but it has fairly large error bars. Um, so um, I, I think that the stuff with the B modes is more exciting if you want to understand um, how the universe evolves. So I have a slightly different outlook on that, Sabina, but we're going to get to that right when we come back from a break. We're going to take our first break from Cosmic Queries and our special guest dialing in from... Uh, what town are you in right now, uh, Sabina? Heidelberg. Heidelberg, Heidelberg, dialing in from Heidelberg. Uh, Sabine, I have great memories of Heidelberg. Hossenfelder. Uh, 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 <laughs> right. we'll, be, we'll be right back and we'll learn maybe what Paul did in Heidelberg <laughs> when we come back <laughs> to Star Talk. You don't want to know. <laughs> This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? 
Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops Driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science proves it. PXG Black Ops Driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops Drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. PXG.com slash StarTalk, code StarTalk. Hey, I'm Roy Hill Percival, and I support StarTalk on Patreon. Bringing the universe down to Earth, this is StarTalk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're back. Segment two, Cosmic Queries. We're talking about the big questions and the release of Sabina Hassenfelder's book. Sabina, give me the full title. It's like Existential... Existential uh, Physics, A Scientist's Guide to Life's Biggest Questions. There you go. There you go. And it's just always good to have someone in arm's reach with that kind of expertise, because you just never know. What <laughs> By the way, I have a book coming out, Peanut Butter. Do you need jelly or don't you? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm with Peanut Butter doesn't need jelly. I'm yeah. all good with the peanut butter. It's 400 pages. It's a very deep analysis. <laughs> Sorry, Sabine. It's going to be competing with your book. I hope yours works out. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so before the break, Paul, we got this question from this uh, person in mm -hmm. Switzerland wanting to know whatever more detailed uh, measurements of the cosmic microwave background can do for us. Here's what I would say, Sabina, that if I'm at a distance and I see a home, and I see a region around the home that's all green. And I say, oh, that's, that's like a green carpet or something, okay? But then I get closer, or I look with higher resolution, and I say, no, wait a minute. There are blades of grass there. And then I say, okay, so it's a green thing made of blades of grass. And I look even closer. Wait, the blades of grass have cells in them, right? And so every next layer, I would not have even known to ask if that was there until I had that extra resolution that empowered me to, to inquire in ways I had not previously imagined. So are, are you prepared to say that a higher, even higher resolution of the cosmic microwave background, there's nothing there for us? Like looking at a lawn of grass? No, of course, I would never say that. You never know what you're going to find. Um, it's just my guess that uh, we, we will have a bigger turnout from the B modes uh, than from a higher resolution cosmic microwave background. Okay, all right. Can I ask, like, why, why is it that CMB gives us information about the nature of the universe just after the Big Bang, but not the last scattering? What is, and is there any been, is there been movement on that? 
Well, you know, the, the phrase just after the Big Bang is kind of ambiguous um, because... That's the best I can do. That's the best I can do. I'm a comedian. All, all the interesting <laughs> things that happen in the early universe are right after the Big Bang, like in, in the first like 10 to the minus 10 seconds or something like this. Right. <laughs> so right. I'm, I'm afraid right. you have to be a little bit more specific. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, well, no, no. So, 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 I guess the the point is the the cosmic microwave background is several hundred thousand years after the Big Bang, and it has right three hundred and eighty thousand right? of what had unfolded before then, and so mm-hmm. it it gives us a, some insight into a, an earlier time, but maybe not as far back as you're otherwise indicating. As you're otherwise indicating. Uh, I mean, so so what you say is, of course, entirely correct. Um, it, it's kind of difficult to see through through all this plasma, which is opaque. Um, there are several things that people have proposed. I mean, looking for those gravitational waves and the B-modes kind of uh, allows you to look back to earlier times, uh, at least if you trust the interpretation. Uh, people have also uh, suggested to look for the neutrino cosmic microwave background, which should be there. So uh, they they have traveled undisturbed for a longer time. But the problem with the neutrinos is, well, they interact very weakly. So, um, <laughs> you know, God yeah. knows how long yeah. it would take to measure the thing. Like maybe we'd be measuring, I don't know, 100,000 years or something. So uh, don't expect results <laughs> right. anytime soon. Yeah, neutrinos have always been very difficult. Uh, they, they don't play well with others. I no, they don't. They at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, give me some more questions. What do you yeah, have? this is on wave function from Stephen Murphy. I'm not sure where this person is from, but if I understand quantum physics correctly, there is something about measurements that collapses the wave function. Some people, especially sci-fi authors, seem to believe our conscious observation of the measurement is what does the collapsing. How do we know that our our observation is not the key factor? I think we know. I think there's an esteemed scientist, Dr. Emmett Brown from Back to the Future, who said, (laughs) if you travel in the past and you play with the past, you're going to alter the future. So I think we could just move on. We could just move on. Yes, exactly. We don't need Sabina to answer that. (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, so Sabina, what do you you have there, this this, uh, collapse of the wave function? Yeah, so um, I think this is something that people were really confused about in the early days of quantum mechanics. Like when the thing came up, uh, it became clear that there's something um, going on in in the measurement. They didn't know what, uh, and they made what's now known as the Heisenberg cut, which basically says wave function does one thing when you're not looking at it, and when you do look at it, booms, uh, it collapses into something that um, corresponds to our classical reality. Um, I don't think that today um, anybody believes this, or I mean, maybe I shouldn't put it that strongly, but there are probably one or two weird people who still believe that consciousness has something to do with the collapse of the wave function. But uh, certainly the the vast majority of physicists have abandoned this idea simply because we know that we can make quantum measurements without the involvement of any conscious um, observer. We can do it with some kind of apparatus that was programmed by a computer or in the soon future, maybe we can do it with robots or maybe this is already happening and I haven't um, gotten the memo. Um, so, what, what do you need consciousness for, basically, in, in the measurement? Wait, wait, Sabina, you you just missed a 
deep discovery. Mm -hmm. It's that the machines making the measurement are conscious. It's obvious. <laughs> oh, right. Yes, yeah, so it's evidence for panpsychism now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. That's an AI yeah, how, um, could you, how could you have missed that, that revelation there? Come on. <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, but um, so, so maybe more interesting, Neil, it's like the the opposite uh, combination that um, quantum mechanics plays some kind of role for consciousness. It has not completely gone out of the window. Maybe most prominently, uh, it's represented by Roger Penrose, um, who thinks that um, something about those quantum processes and the measurement, um, the collapse of the wave function in particular is necessary to give rise to consciousness in the human brain. And I'm not at all convinced by this, but then he has won a Nobel Prize and I haven't. Yeah, but he won it for black holes, not for, not for right. you know, consciousness, just to be clear. Yeah, so, okay. what does he, so what does he know? Yeah, what an I mean, idiot. You know, what does he know? <laughs> everybody can have a Nobel. I, I have one. I got no, he, Yeah, he's one of the most eminent among us in the, in the physics and astrophysics universe, Roger Penrose. Still alive, still at it. And I think he's old enough so he can have some uh, borderline flaky ideas and you still end up giving it some respect. And so I think, uh, Sabina, that's where... That's where you were landing there, I think. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, right, you know, uh, by all chances, I just don't understand it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Paul. Yeah, time, uh, we're going to time exists in black holes. This is uh, from Queensland. Queensland, Peter Jacobs, Australia. Where is uh, where it is uh, a different time and a different day and 293 degrees this winter morning? This is what Peter says. All right, here's his question. Does time exist in a black hole? And if you travel through a wormhole, could you end up in a different place in time and not be able to get back? Well, I don't know. If you're going to do air travel, by the way, Peter, right now, you're not getting it. You're not going anywhere because your flight's going to be canceled. <laughs> so you're not traveling through any wormhole anywhere, anytime. Try taking no, a anytime train. soon. Yes. Anytime okay. soon. Exactly. Right, right. So, Sabina, um, what happens? What's the fate of someone broadly? We're thinking about the fate of someone in a wormhole and in a black hole, other than that they'll rip apart and die. Right. Hold, hold aside that complication. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to digest the phrase "a different place in time," but I think I think I know what it means. Yeah. So um, the weird thing about Einstein's theory is that he made time into a coordinate uh, like space, um, and it has the consequence that the labels on those coordinates um, are kind of ambiguous. You know, you can change them the same way that you uh, can change uh, the labels on your ruler from I don't know inch to centimeters or something like this. They, they don't really mean anything. Um, so this coordinate time um, has to be enjoyed with a lot of care um, if you want to interpret it. Usually what we deal with uh, in Einstein's theory is what's called the proper time. So this is the time that an observer would experience who would be traveling in this space-time. And for all we know, if you fall into a black hole or if you go through a wormhole, then your proper time just moves forward so you get older. Where you come out uh, in this coordinate time uh, is a completely different question. Uh, and indeed, if you go through a wormhole, you could, in principle, come out in the past according to this um, coordinate time. And this is also why a lot of physicists um, believe that wormholes are hugely problematic because they could lead to all kinds of uh, paradoxes. You could go back in time and kill your grandfather, that kind of story. Mm. Mm. And why does everyone always talk about killing their their 
ancestors. Why not just <laughs> prevent them from meeting and then they don't marry and have babies? That's why exactly do why we always got to kill them? Right. I mean, what what's you know? Or you go back and you ask that girl or that guy out that you wanted to ask out on a date and you didn't, and you re- and then you ended up in with the person you're with, and that's not working out. I'm getting too personal right now. <laughs> and yeah, but, yeah, I don't um, hear hear your your issues. Because <laughs> okay. Sabina, my wife and I are not talking, and I was wondering if you might <laughs> no, be able to help. Sabina, <laughs> is there a quantum relativity therapy session that is in need? Exactly. Oh, wait, wait for my next book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So when you so in traveling through the wormhole, there really the answer is. We, you could end up anywhere at any time. Is that sort of for, for the layperson? Is that sort of one of the answers there in a very crude way? Mathematically, yes. Uh, but no one's ever built a wormhole and we have no idea how to build one or if uh, actually most physicists think it's not possible because it requires negative energy. So who knows? Um, you know, mathematically, you, you can energy. write it down. But I can get you negative energy. Meet my mother. <laughs> I can get you negative energy. <laughs> Suck the energy right out of a room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why? Why are you killing me? No. Uh, uh, see, you meeting your mother makes you travel to the past. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, so an, an important point that you, you just glossed over there, Sabina, that you go through into a black hole and you have what we call proper time, but that's a, as applies to you. So it doesn't really make sense to ask, what is the time in a black hole? Because that it has to reference someone who's making the measurement of a time. And then you can get different measurements depending on, on whose coordinate is behaving in which way. Is that a fair way to sort of add nuance to what you just said? Yes, that's of course entirely correct. Uh, and it's also why people get confused about this issue that it takes seemingly forever to cross the horizon of a black hole if you fall in. Um, that's what you see from the outside. So an, so an observer who sits outside and sees you falling into a black hole uh, would just see you freeze uh, as you get close to the horizon. But in your own proper time, if you fall in, uh, it's a finite amount of time and it's it's a finite amount of time that it takes to hit the singularity if there is a singularity in a black hole, which which we don't really know, but um, assuming that there is one, it takes a finite amount of time. So, Paul, we can solve that question by you just visiting a black hole and and, and see I, if there's um, a singularity there. Just I am going to go. I'm taking Amtrak just so I can make sure <laughs> just I get in there. Case you I was going to take Delta, but you know how they are. They never get anywhere on time. But so, wait, I'm sorry, Neil, real, real quick and follow up to what you just asked and Sabina confirmed. You're saying, again, from a layman's perspective, the person, the individual, and the time and place at which that measurement is it, 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 uh, is taking place um, specifically has an effect on the issue and the concept of time. It's not a it's not a general answer in terms of what we mean by time. It's specific to who and when. I think and classically where. you can think of there's one time system everywhere, right. and we learned in relativity that's just not the case. Right. If time is just another coordinate, then you can experience that coordinate in different ways. And so that, that, that's how I think about it, Sabina. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary. Yeah, so you experienced straight time falling into a black hole. Someone watching you, it would take forever for them to see, see that happen. And so you're both have the, perfectly legitimate wristwatches making these measurements. So. And so what is the scientific measurement of a friend telling me a long-winded story that doesn't do anything for me in my life? The time... They're actually slowly falling into a black hole in that Thank moment. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's exactly how I felt. I couldn't describe the feeling until now. I'm falling into a black hole. Which is why when I talk to people now, I want to wear a welding helmet up. 
Oh. So if I find that the conversation is just going in a place that's just doing nothing for me, I just put the helmet down and that pretty much tells you that we're done. That's the that's evidence, just, okay, that that's you're my, done. Uh, <laughs> that's how I work. Uh, time for one more it? question this second. Yeah, absolutely. Other universes inside the black hole. Um, this is Ryan uh, Gurintes and it says, hey everyone, I want to know how uh, possible it is that inside black holes are actually other universes. Yeah, we've all heard this. Sabina, and it's kind of, it, on the face of it, it's completely outlandish. How, how can this giant sucking machine called a black hole be the repository of an entire universe? And Sabina, you're going to answer that question when we come back from this break, <laughs> okay? Because <laughs> I want to know the answer too. Very uh, nice. Damn it, what the hell is going on inside of a black hole when Star Talk Cosmic Queries continues? Do you want to set up your child for success? Of course you do. Maybe you want to save money on private tutoring, or maybe it's just out of your budget altogether. Is this a big school year for your child? Like maybe they're starting kindergarten, middle school, or high school, or some other milestone. Maybe your family moved and they're starting at a new school. Is your child ahead? Not getting challenged enough in class? Well, we love that little smarty, but we want them to be engaged. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. There's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. And no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Star Talk. Visit IXL.com slash Star Talk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.
We're back. Star Talk Cosmic Queries. Sabina Hassenfelder. So she's got a new book out on the big questions, existential questions uh, in physics. And we're trying to get through some of these bigger questions about space, time, black holes, and the like. Uh, Sabina, how do we find you on social media? Well, you can find me on Facebook uh, under my name, Sabine Hossenfelder, uh, or on Twitter uh, under the handle SKDH. Uh, those are my initials, just in case you wonder. Uh, and okay. of course, on YouTube. Uh. And of course, your, your big YouTube channel. And Paul, we find you on social media where? Yes, at S-K-K-B... No, that's yours. Um, I was wondering why I was getting all of these really intense questions about uh, quantum theory, and you were probably getting ridiculous comments about comedy. Um, no, it's at Paul Mercurio, M-E-C-U-R-I-O, all on M-E-C, Mercurio. Mercurio. I had to drop the first R because of the Australian actor. No, it's because we have a planet with that, and you didn't want to be confused for Mercury. I think that's, <laughs> that's really true. I get, uh, <laughs> I get, I get confused with planets a lot, of, very often. Because Mercury's got its own Twitter stream. Just to let you know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, Sabina, I, rem I remember the question from the second segment. Are there? Uh, who's the person who asked it, Paul? Uh, this is Ryan uh, Gertez. So, are there? Whole, we've heard. We've all read that you enter a, a black hole. There's a whole universe opens up in front of you. Could you like? Get, have that make sense for any of us, please? Yeah, so uh, we don't know what's inside a black hole. But, uh, it's not just... Okay, that's the, the answer. Paul, next. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Basically, uh, but uh, that, that it could be... Thank can, you, I just say, can, can I just say something? Yeah, let's move on I to the next question. I, I, uh, <laughs> okay, but the, but the theoretical hypotheses is what gives us this, right? Yeah, so, so that it's a black... Uh, that it's a, a, a portal to another universe uh, is one of the possibilities that people have put forward... Uh, uh, you can do it. Um, basically, the reason it works is that um, uh, uh, if you know one thing about Einstein's theory of general relativity is that space and time becomes curved. And you can curve it so much that you create pockets and those pockets can become infinitely large. So black hole might be much larger in the inside than it looks from the outside. Uh, and indeed, it could be infinitely large. So mathematically, you can stuff another universe inside a black hole. It's, uh, it's indeed possible. And uh, given that we don't have any evidence uh, that could tell us uh, whether it's true or not, I would say, yeah, it's possible. Here's your, here's your Nobel Prize. You just, I'm, I'm going to give it to you. That's the Russian doll theory. Take it, run with it. And you write up a paper. And then it, but in a sense, isn't that it? Aren't you saying that in a well, way? That would mean black holes in that black hole universe would have universes. Yes. That, is that, that, is, it would mean that in principle, Sabina, right? Yeah, so that's basically what uh, Lee Smolin's idea of uh, cosmological natural selection is based on. So you have uh, universes in uh, black holes, and those universes make their own black holes, and so on and so forth. So, so you get an entire tree of offspring uh, of universes, and then he has some uh, natural selection stuff going on on them. And uh, I've, I've forgotten the details, but uh, this is basically. In fact, he wrote a whole book on this. He, on this he, idea. he did write a yeah. whole book on it, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called The yeah. Life of the Cosmos, I think. So it would imply that the most successful universes are the ones that have the most black holes because they would be making even more copies of themselves. So you step back and say, what is the most common kind of universe? It would be the kind of universe where the laws of physics promote the maximum number of black holes you can get. And that would just be the naturals that's borrowed right off the pages of, of evolutionary biology, right? 
That's the idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Does this, is this sort of related to this loop quantum gravity theory? And sort He's of big on that, but I don't know if they're related. What, what do you think, Sabina? I don't think so. I think they're pretty much independent. I mean, I'm pretty yeah. sure you can probably connect them somehow, but... Um, but I think he was also big on that idea as well, if, if memory serves. I mean, since we're talking about the universe, can you guys explain to me? I love the quantum? beginning sentences like that. <laughs> since we're how, talking about the universe, well, how is it that how how is it that Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart keep making buddy movies and the universe doesn't implode? How is that possible? <laughs> and either of you could address that for me. I would appreciate it. Do you want me we'll to move our, on to the we'll next We'll get our one? top people working on that. Right. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, next. Uh, just question. to be clear, Arnold Schwarzenegger made movies with. Danny DeVito, okay. You want to talk <laughs> he about did. odd couples? That is that is true. Tall and tall and small. Tall and small. That's the whole relationship. And uh, pretty good movies, actually. Uh, all right. Opinion or theory, uh, or opinion or theory from your past. That's the title of this question. This is from Adam Crowther. Not sure where this person is from. Uh, can each of you give an example of a cherished opinion or theory from your past? Maybe that you defended publicly at the time, but now turns out to be completely wrong as proven by new evidence. I would like to hear some good examples of the scientific method as intended. We don't hold on to our beliefs in the same contradicting, contradicting evidence. Okay. So Sabine, so something Sabina, to, what do you have going there? Well, I, I wrote a whole book saying that there hasn't been any progress in the foundation of physics. You know, I, I would have been happy if there had been something ruled out that I believed in, uh, but I'm, I'm afraid I can't really come up with anything. Um, what, what springs to my mind, though, is that I've changed my mind uh, on dark matter. So I have a background in particle physics, and for a long time I was pretty convinced it's probably some kind of particle, because if you can use particle physics to explain it, why look any further? Um, now I'm I've uh, pretty much drifted over to the modif modified gravity side. Ooh, ooh, blood drawn. <laughs> <laughs> modified Newtonian gravity. This is like so we don't need dark matter. We just have to fix Newton's laws of gravity because they're they're incomplete. So ooh, ooh, she's crossed over. I'm just letting you know, Paul. She that. She crossed over. She just admitted that. Well, you know, I said modified gravity. You brought in Newton. So, oh, okay. uh, you oh. know, I, I think we, we do need a relativistic uh, theory. Uh, so Newtonian sure. non-relativistic one isn't going to do. Got it. Got it. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> so I, I have a more holistic view of that question. I think it's a great question, but I have a more holistic view. It's, I don't run around espousing strongly things I believe in for which there is insufficient evidence to justify that confidence. So I apportion the confidence I have in my statements according to how much evidence is available to it. And, and I will follow the evidence wherever it takes me. So it's not like I have some cherished belief that then has to be thrown out the window and I'm kicking and screaming while it happens. I'm there at every step of what the evidence is telling us. And when you have conflicting evidence, then people choose sides, as, it's, as is true here with dark matter, and that's a fun part. It's the bleeding edge of physics. And But the real problem comes about, and I think this is a, an important component of Sabina's book, is that if you start holding tightly to a belief system that either has no evidence or only partial evidence, then you're going to fall harder 
when that's if if the day comes where you've got to discard the what might be decades of your invested hard work. So but where is that where is that fine line like so okay if you apportion your confidence based on the evidence available I mean it and I don't mean you I mean in the third person just generally I mean this kind of gets back to what Sabina was saying in her book about sort of the lack of advances in 50 years etc cetera, etc cetera. so don't you have to kind of walk the edge a little bit and say, okay, the evidence shows me this. I have this level of confidence, 30%. I'm going to make some assumptions and put myself out there and make this statement or make... Not a problem. The question is how, 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 how much emotional energy have you put into it? And Sabina, this is what you've been, you found. People were totally into what they thought the universe should have been. And are, and will not give it up, like no matter what, and that's that's a problem, isn't that right, Sabina? Uh, yeah, I mean it's just it, it's psychologically really difficult. I think if you if you spend a big portion of your life uh, researching a particular idea that you're fond of, uh, and then the evidence doesn't come forward as readily as you thought it would, and indeed there's conflicting evidence, what are you going to do? Uh, are you going to admit that you wasted uh, a lot of time of your life? Right? <laughs> right. But, but, I mean, <laughs> wow, you just described my life. You really did. Uh, but wait, isn't that a tautological argument on some level? It's sort of like if you're a great scientist or even an average one and you've spent an X number of years and it didn't sort of play out the way you hoped or anticipated, isn't that knowledge in and of itself that it's not playing out the way you hoped and you did make advances because you disproved something that you thought was otherwise, but still you proved something. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, and yeah, that's how it should be. But, you know, scientists are only human. Um, right, right. I, I guess the the only thing that I, I have to add is that it gets easier if you do it more often. Like, I, I've worked on a lot of different things uh, at this point, like in the past 20 years, like the uh, phenomenology of particle physics and uh, quantum gravity and modified gravity and um, a little bit statistical mechanics and some foundations of quantum mechanics and so on and so forth. And you you get used to giving up cherished ideas and just moving on and doing something else. Yeah, so you like an idea, but maybe you shouldn't cherish it. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> so you got to temper your passion, I guess, right? Uh, <laughs> All right so Paul, and, we only have like three minutes left. So Yes, okay. This is on vacuum decay from Sandra Pagliani. I uh, don't know where she's from. What is most terrifying to you? Vacuum decay sneaking up on us and suddenly destroying us or the big rip? Which one is the most probable to occur? Also, given that we are matter, what are the chances that we bump into antimatter and vanish in a puff of gamma rays? I don't know why I had to go so dark. Sorry about that. <laughs> so clearly, Sandra is having trouble keeping a relationship. Yes, uh, Sandra needs to get help on that she's one. A little, we... <laughs> she's a little on the dark side. She's the Debbie Downer of this uh, particular yeah, okay. Star Talk session. Yes, yeah, so big rip, vacuum uh, decay. And, and so, and in sound bites, what do you have? So I think the best way to die uh, would be vacuum decay because we would all die without any advance warning and we would all die together instantly. Wow. I feel good. All right, that makes me feel good. <laughs> <It's Wow. like, laughs> like, and the thing about bumping, bumping into your antimatter self, there's, there's hardly any antimatter in the universe. Yeah. 
So if that's one of your worries, put it lower on the list okay. <laughs> than whatever. And you know, Sabina, what you just did with your answer, you just gave Tom Cruise the idea for his next movie where he saves the universe from vacuum decay by riding a rocket in an improbable amount of speed. So I'm just putting that out there that you just created the next movie coming up. I got uh, okay. Should we move on to another question? Yeah, sure, sure. Okay. Angus McNeil, if there are an infinite amount of planets in the universe, then does that mean that every possible planet from a video game or a made-up world could exist with real-life physics. Now, Angus is 12, so it sounds to me like he is just trying to justify playing video games <laughs> That's all what day. it sounds like. And his parents <laughs> are study. watching for the answer <laughs> to see. Ma, I got to play. Neil Tyson and Sabina said that this is how it's... <laughs> So, so, Sabina, do you think he's really thinking of the multiverse there instead of just the infinite number of planets in our own universe? Yeah, it sounds a little bit like a multiverse idea. Um, mm -hmm. So, it, on, on some level, the answer might be, uh, yes, there could be planets with other laws of nature. On the other hand, uh, I'm not sure that the kind of physics that you get shown in video games is actually consistent with the existence of planets in the first place. <laughs> so uh, you have to be a little bit careful that if you actually work out the maths, that the, the, the universe still exists. <laughs> well, it's, right, it still right. exists, but in any, you know, I, get, I guess in any universe you're in, though, Grand Theft Auto is still illegal, like no matter what happens where you are. Yeah, but I've seen, I've seen Mario. Mario can jump off a, a ledge and then just scurry back onto the, right. onto the ledge. There's some really right. weird laws of physics in, in yes, this stuff. Yes, he, right? he never twists an ankle. He never, blows out, <laughs> he never blows out his knee. It's just, how is that? How do you steal a car in three seconds? But, but an important a, point, uh, Sabina, I think if you imply this, if you didn't say this explicitly, other universes might have slightly different laws of physics in them. And so you'd have to create a system of laws that would be compatible with having planets. We know our laws are compatible with planets because we're on one, all right, and, and other evidence as well. Yeah. Paul, one last question. See if we can squeeze yes. it in. Yes, uh, this is Sam. G'day. I'm a tractor operator from Australia, so I listen to Star Talk a lot, and I got to thinking about black holes and the Big Bang. And if no one actually knows how the Big Bang started, is it a possibility that the Big Bang was the result of a universe that had been consumed by a black hole and popped out of the backside of the black hole? Whoa. I say no because there's flex tape. And when you have flex tape, ain't nothing <laughs> You keep it together. You keep it together. You ain't nothing I saw that TV commercial. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to try the part where you go into a pool and you put it together. Anyway, go ahead. Right, so, um, so let me reshape that question. If the black hole can contain a universe... Is that the same thing as popping a universe out the other side and birthing one? Is that is that a fair way to think about that or not? Yeah, and the answer is pretty much the same. Uh, it's possible, at least mathematically, you can do it. Uh, you can have the universe come out of a black hole and uh, glue this in the place where you normally have the Big Bang. Uh, it, it's one of the theories for the beginning of the universe that physicists have looked at. Whoa. So my boy on a tractor in Australia is deducing the nature of the universe, and he's on a roll. It tells you yeah. a lot about the current state of physics. Oh, no, or, or tells you a lot about how deep a thinker we got there on the, on, on the tractor. Well, I All just right. want to say, Sam, you just won the Nobel Prize, so congratulations. <laughs> Get off that tractor and come on down. Come on down. Maybe, maybe, wear something that, maybe wear your tuxedo overalls for the ceremony. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to end it there. Uh, Paul, always good to have you, man. 
Uh, it's great to be on. All right, and Sabina Hossenfelder, it was a delight to have you. Uh, good luck with the book. Sometimes it needs a little luck as well. Uh, but the topics are, as you can see, deeply uh, of deep interest to so many people, especially in our fan base. So uh, thanks for agreeing to come on to Star Talk. Wonderful to talk to you, Gus. All right. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. As always, I bid you to keep looking up. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's next level supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV and more. Get no cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. Zero dollar copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply.